H12, how are we doing tonight? Yeah? On this hot, humid Georgia night. Who loves the summer? Where are my people that just like, you love the summer? Where are my folks that love the winter, the, the cold? Those are the people, we're talking about camouflage, those are the people that actually like to hunt, right? Derek, you kind of work that into the culture, right? Because you're kind of a hunter, right? Aren't you? A little bit? Well, guys, my name is uh, Trey Hildebrandt. I'm the campus pastor at the Snellville campus. I am so excited to get, got a little whoop? We got any Snellville folks? No? Okay, no. Any Brookwood High School kids? Where are my Brookwood High School people? Okay, like four of you. Awesome. That means all the rest of them are going to a Snellville campus, I hope. I don't know. Um, but I'm excited to be here on uh, just, I think, the third week of your camouflage series. Um, it is, it's fun. Middle of the summer, you guys are going strong. This is, this is awesome. This is awesome. So it's a, it's a thrill for me to be here. In thinking about camouflage, I grew up in the sticks of South Georgia. When I say the sticks of South Georgia, I grew up 30, 40 minutes away from the nearest Walmart. Some of you guys can't even fathom that. We grew up, we only had three channels. We did not do uh, cable, at least until I was probably middle school before my dad decided that we could actually have more than uh, CBS with the bunny ears on the top. You guys probably have no idea. Anybody not have cable in the room? Oh, wow. There's more of you than I thought. Direct TV doesn't count, guys. You know, that kind of... So I grew up in the middle of nowhere. We grew up, my dad was a pastor of a church. He was a pastor of a small church, and we lived at the church. When I, we lived in something they called the pastorium. Our front yard was literally the parking lot of the church that my dad pastored. And, uh, but the church owned a lot of land. And so what my brother and I do, I'm, the, I'm a, a little brother who's two and a half years younger than me. What my brother and I would do, we would go out into the woods and we would just do all kinds of stuff. And that tended to, uh, usually involved our BB guns. A good old-fashioned Red Rider BB gun. Anybody? Any have a, a Red Rider BB gun? Well, I had a grandmother, and uh, I had, actually had two grandmothers, um, which we all did at some point. Um, so I had a grandmother, and uh, she would uh, make for us, all of her grandkids, she would make all of us this camo gear. I mean, tons of it. We'd ha- I, had the pa- I was like, like six years old, had the pants, and had a vest. She would make she made all the grandkids, all the grandsons, uh, a camo vest. And my brother and I would get our Red Rider BB guns, sling them over our shoulders, put on our camo gear, and go outside and try to shoot things. And you can imagine... Imagine like a fifth grader just going outside and just shooting at things. That's all we did. And with a Red Rider BB gun, here's what you got to know about a Red Rider BB gun. Is the BB just kind of rolls out, the, at the, out the, the barrel. It doesn't quite do much more than that. So I literally have shot squirrels just to watch the BB bounce off the squirrel's ribcage. I mean, not even, not even, to, I'm so, some of you are probably, you know, you probably feel really sad right now that we would actually try to kill a squirrel, but we would. We would. We had nothing else to do. We didn't have cable. So what do you do? You kill squirrels. Um. But uh, one day in particular, I go outside, and I I remember this day, it was cold, so of course we were decked out in our camo. I had our Red Rider BB gun, I had on the beanie and everything, and I was waiting on my little brother to come outside, and we were going to go back out into this this little plot of woods where we always went just to shoot different things, shoot the trees, whatever, shoot lizards. I remember shooting at lizards, I don't know why we would do that. But uh, we'd go out, and I remember waiting on him in, uh, like I said, the front yard was the parking lot. We didn't have a front yard, we literally walked out the front doors, down the steps, and there was the parking lot. And I'm waiting out in the front yard with... uh, uh, the BB gun over my shoulder, waiting on my little brother. I don't know what he was doing. And I, and I, you know, I'm just playing around. So I cock back the BB gun and I see a leaf on the, the parking lot, uh, you know, just right there on the asphalt, on the parking lot. And I aim at the leaf. Do anybody know what happens when a BB hits like another hard surface? 
It bounces and it ricochets. So my parents drove this gorgeous gold Ford Windstar minivan, and it was it was down it was down a ways. I was I was not directly. I don't really know really know how far away I was from it. So I I take aim at this leaf. I'm just bored. Okay. I shoot at the leaf. I don't know if I hit the leaf because before I could blink, I had shattered out the side window of my dad's or my mom's, whoever's it was, a gold Windstar minivan. I've shattered the window. You know, the big one where you have to open it up and slide and that just, just shattered it. Before I could know what else to do, I literally, I throw the BB gun into the bushes. I run inside and I sit on my bed and I weep like a child. Well, I was a child. And I, just, and I cry, and I cry, and I cry. My dad comes in, wears me out, spanks me. I wasn't allowed to go out with my BB gun for a year, for a year. So I didn't get to use my camo for a year. When I think about camo, I think about the, my childhood. I think about those things. But then, I, you know, I began to think about this whole idea of camouflage and kind of the tagline, not everything is meant to be seen. Whereas a, a fifth grader with a BB gun is not out doing you know, much. He's not, I'm not actually hiding from anything. But when you think about camo, the whole purpose of it, it's really simple. The whole purpose of camo is to put it on so that you blend in and, and it's not seen. You're covering something up. That's the purpose of camo. And here's the truth about our faith. There are many things about our faith that are unseen. There are many important things about your faith that are unseen. In fact, I would go as far to say that the things that are unseen about your faith are more important than the things that are seen. Do you believe that? The things that are unseen about your faith are more important than the things that are seen. Uh, if, you, if you think about even where you guys have been in the passage uh, scripture, you guys have been working through the Sermon on the Mount, you see this theme throughout scripture that Jesus oftentimes spoke about the things that weren't seen because he was trying to get to the heart. That's all throughout scripture. We see that theme, especially in, in the gospels. When Jesus is speaking, he speaks to the heart because Jesus knows this. What's happening inside affects what's outside. Jesus knows that what's happening internally is really, really, really important. And so throughout his teachings, he's always kind of hitting the heart. Jesus is trying to go deeper than what's just on the outside. He has more to say than just do's and don'ts. He has more to say than what it means to be religious. He has more to say that, that to us than just attending church or doing those type of things. Jesus oftentimes goes out in front of people and he, and he, he goes into the heart. And it's no different than what we've seen in the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, just even a few verses ahead of where we're going to be today, Jesus says this. He says, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. God is looking for what is, is, is secret. God is looking for what is hidden. He wants to get after your heart because your heart reveals who you really are. God sees what's on the inside. God sees what you and I think is secret. Now, I think about that and I get kind of, I get kind of uneasy. Anybody else get uneasy? If we were to just right now, if we were to take just one of you and say, hey, your deepest, darkest, those thoughts that you don't want anybody to know you think, those things you do behind every closed door, you know, those things that you hope that nobody finds out about you, if we were to put that on the screen right now, how many of you just make, kind of makes you sick just thinking about it? I squirm at the idea of somebody knowing what comes through my head sometimes. But here's the thing about God. Here's what we have to understand. There's nothing secret to God. God sees every bit of you. And that's a scary thought. That there's nothing we can hide from God. There's nothing that he doesn't know about us. There's not a place in our lives where we get to shut the door and turn out the lights and hope that he doesn't see. There's, God knows every thought that slips through our minds. God knows every action that we do. He sees it all. And that's a very scary thing. 
And I think that's, that's one reason why Jesus kind of always wants to go after the heart because God wants us to, to develop into somebody who, who actually is who we say we are. Because God oftentimes cares much more about who we are than what we do. And I know that's a, that's a tough thing for us to grasp. That God cares about who we are more than what we do because we can't separate the two, right? If I ask you the difference between who you are and what you do, oftentimes I bet many of us are going to have trouble kind of differentiating between the two. We're going to think, well, who I am is what I do, and that's partially true. But there's many of us who what we do does not match up with who we actually are. There's something inside going on, and that's an important truth for us as we launch into the back half of the, the Lord's Prayer In Matthew chapter 6, we have to remember this truth and just this whole idea of camouflage, that what is hidden from view matters to God. That's your first blank. What is hidden from view matters to God. The things about our lives that maybe nobody else knows, they matter to God. He sees our hearts. He sees deep into who we are. The problem is we tend to measure life success by what's on the outside. You do it, I do it. I measure life, life success by, by what's on the outside. I see somebody, I make judgments. I, I see something, I think I, think I know what it, what it is. You know, I, I look on the outside. Jesus hops onto the scene here in, in Matthew and really all throughout the, the, the scripture. Jesus comes in and he kind of flips that upside down. He's, Jesus pops into history and he kind of flips it upside down and says, well, like I've already said, what's on the inside matters more than what is, is on the outside. And I think you're going to see that tonight as we look through just three quick verses in Matthew chapter 6 about who God is, um, and, and some internal heart truth. So what we're going to do, we're going to read three quick verses, and I'm going to take these three statements, they're really three separate statements and three separate verses, and we're going to see what is the heart element. You know, what is that, that internal truth that Jesus is getting at in this passage of Scripture? So Matthew 6, starting verse 11. And you guys, <laughs> if you play a sport in the South, you know the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, or trespasses, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I'm going to pray real quick. God, we love you. Lord, I pray that your word would be uh, enough, that you would be in this place, that we would be more aware of your presence. I love that line, Lord. I think if we knew and realized the weight of the God of the universe literally being in the room, it would change everything. And so I hope that we see that now, that you're in the room, your words are in the room. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So, a couple things as we dive in. Jesus cares more about who you are than what you do. Jesus is, is looking inward. He sees you. He sees your heart. He sees your secrets. He knows everything about you. What is hidden from view matters to God. That first statement, so we're just going to work through all three. That first statement, give us today our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. There's a key thing happening here. There's something that God is getting at. Jesus is teaching us how to pray. That's what the Lord's Prayer is. Jesus says, hey, I'm going to teach you how to do this. That's some thankful. Thanks, Jesus, for teaching us how to do this because we need help. So Jesus says, I'm going to teach you how to do this. I'm going to teach you how to pray. And he in there, he says, give us today our daily bread. In that phrase, Jesus is trying to dig into who we are as people who trust God or don't trust God. I think you have trust on one hand, and on the other hand, you have trusting in yourself. And in that very phrase, Jesus is teaching us that we are to trust God. 
And I mean really trust God. Not just say we're trusting God, because I know for me, I oftentimes will say things like, I trust God, but I just don't know if I actually know what that means, to trust him with every single aspect of my life. And so you have a phrase like this that says, give us this day our daily bread. That is ultimately saying this, hey, trust God with everything. Trust him with with every step. Give us today what we need, God. Because we're, we're really, really good at praying the big prayers, especially in high school. Some of you are probably getting ready for your senior year. Some of you may have just graduated. You're praying about the big things. You're praying about, oh, God, and make sure I, you know, I want to do good in college. You may think about some of you are probably super spiritual, and you're already praying for your spouse, you know, that kind of thing, um, something like that. And you pray for those type of big things. But what does it look like to trust God in every single second? Every single second, with every single decision, every relationship, every moment to trust God, to give him every single bit of who we are, every bit of our strength, every bit of our independence, because that's who I am. I'm naturally an independent guy. I like to do it myself. Just ask my wife. The way my wife gets me to do something in our house is she offers to do it. If my wife ever says, well, I'll just take out the trash, that's her way of getting me up off the couch to take out the trash. So I'm naturally, we we have a a one-year-old, and she, if she, she ever needs me to just do anything. She, she just whimpers a little bit, and then she says she's going to do it, and then she, can, she passive-aggressively accuses me of something, and then I get to go and actually do it. So I'm very independent. I just am. I just want to do that. And I bet there's many of you who you're very independent. You're just like, I want to do it. I got this. Any of you out there would say, you're the I got it people. Let me do it on my own. Look what I can do. Well, that, that heart, that independence, oftentimes, listen, that independence oftentimes ends up being a buffer, a di- a di- a providing a distance between us and God. When we try to do things on our own strength, in fact, in the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, one of the main things Jesus is trying to fight against is you had this group of people called the Pharisees, and they were trying to be religious on their own strength. They were trying to be who they, other people thought they needed to be. They were trying to be churchy people. They were trying to have it all figured out. They were trying to do all of that on their own strength. And eventually in scripture, Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs. He says, on the outside you look clean, but on the inside is dead, man, dead man's bones. Now that is a burn if I've ever heard one. When Jesus says, on the outside you look clean, but on the inside is dead man's bones. Because Jesus is trying to get to something deeper. He's going into the heart and he says, give us this day our daily bread. In parentheses, trade translation, trust God. Trust God. So when I think about trust, I want to do a quick um, illustration. Can I get a brave person? Maybe, okay, you brave? You sure you're brave? All right, you ready for this? All right, come on up. Can I get eight stronger people? And they're like, it's me, man. It's me, bro. I go to Parkview or something. All right, come here. Um, so this is called the trust fall. You guys have seen this before, right? It's called the trust fall. Here, here's, I want, I want to teach you a quick lesson about trust. That next, that next blank we'll, we'll get to in just a moment. I want to teach you something about trust. You can, turn, you can turn around, put your arms across your chest like this. Yep. Here's the deal. Stay, stay tight. Here's the deal. Can you, can you tell me, hey, listen up, listen up. Say these words. I, I trust the people behind me. <laughs> She's like, I just don't know if I do. Man, they feel that they, they love your confidence in them right now. Um, here's the deal. If, if, if I sent them, okay, all right, thanks guys, you're done. Go, you can go sit back down. Has her trust really been demonstrated? No. She just said, I, 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 trust, I trust them. 
And, and I think that's kind of where many of us are in our relationship with God. We're in this place where, the, where we want people to think that we trust God. We say it. We say it all the time. I trust God. I believe in God. He's my guy. Jesus is my homeboy. You know, we get that whole thing going. And, and we say we think we trust God. But here's the deal. Trust is not trust until you let go of something else. Trust is not trust until you let go of something else. So, what's your name? Simone. Simone. That's a beautiful name, Simone. She, her heart is beating fast. I think she is breathing heavy. Can you demonstrate trust for us really quick? Whoa! There you go. Give it up for Simone. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. None of you guys are allowed to get her number tonight. So, unless... unless all right, here's, here's the deal. Trust is not trust. Listen up. Trust is not trust until you let go of something else. Because here's what we like to do a lot of. We like to do this a lot. I, we want to hold on to our own securities, our own strengths, our own work. We want to do all of these things ourselves, And we want to kind of keep God nearby because we feel like he's, he's this thing we need to keep out of hell. Like we keep him for, for like a portion of our lives, but we're trying to hold on. We kind of want the life raft of the rest of the world. We kind of want the life raft of our social life, the life raft of our, of our own strength, our own ability, our own talents, our own academics, our own this, our own that. And we kind of want to have God too. But here's the deal. Trusting God to the point of giving, you know, saying, Lord, give me this day, our daily bread will require us letting go of something else. And it's not easy. It's not easy. I don't pretend to think it's easy. Now she made it look easy, but I don't pretend to think that it's easy. But what is in your life that you're holding on to a little too tightly that's keeping you from fully jumping into the arms of God? To the point of where you say, God, give me today our, my, my daily bread. And I believe, guess what, God? I believe that you can. Not I'm repeating the Lord's prayer because I play on the football team. But Lord, I, I say, give me today my daily bread. And I believe that the God of the universe can not only give me my daily bread, but he can give me every ounce of everything else I would ever need. Not want, but need. Because here's who God is. God is perfectly loving and he's perfectly in control. And here's why the two of those together are really, really important for us to remember. If God were just perfectly loving but not in control, he would be like a, 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 like a giant, I think about Santa Claus, you know? Like he'd be this loving father who gives us things and takes care of us, but he wouldn't actually have any control of our circumstances. He wouldn't have, actually have the ability to, to provide. He wouldn't actually have the ability for like his actions to change things. So if God is not perfectly in control, but he's perfectly loving, we don't really worship him because we can't trust him. We can't trust that who he says he is is actually who he says he is. And on the flip side, if God is perfectly in control but not perfectly loving, then we have a dictator on our hands who, who just kind of works and does what he pleases and kind of uses us as his little minions and moves us around and makes, you know, whatever. Here's the deal. God is perfectly in control. He's perfectly loving. And when the both come together, we can trust that. We can trust that he is perfectly in control. And as he is in control, he loves us. That is a God you can trust. What are you holding on to that you need to let go of? That would just be that heart, that thing deep inside of you. That heart moment where you learn to trust God. That's what's unseen. Trust does have outward ramifications, but that is a decision that you must make in your heart first. Trust 
is unseen. Number two, forgive our debt. Forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgiveness clearly is a matter of the heart. Perhaps you, that one doesn't need as much as explaining. Forgiveness is a matter of the heart. And let me give an example. Forgiveness, one from, from God, but forgiveness for others. There's, both of them are obviously mentioned there. Let's just picture this. And maybe some of you, this is too real, but, but just let's go with it for a second. You're dating somebody, whatever. You're in high school, I don't know. Anyway, you're dating somebody, and your best, she or he, cheats on you with your best friend. Some of you are like, oh, your elbow and your best friend. Remember that in second grade? Anyway, hey. <clears throat> so, so listen, listen. The reason I bring up that story, I bring up that story, I bring up that example because we all feel being cheated on is like that that ultimate violation of our trust, right? It's that ultimate wronging of somebody else kind of, and especially by somebody else that you trust. So in those situations, you really have three options. Number one, bitterness. You have three options. You have bitterness, you have revenge, and you have forgiveness. When we're wronged, we have three options. Bitterness, which is resenting someone in our heart but not doing anything about it necessarily. Revenge is bitterness put into action. And then forgiveness. Those are kind of the three options we have when somebody wrongs us. The world teaches us, hey, if they, somebody wrongs you, you owe them to get them back, right? That's what the world teaches us. God comes in and says this, hey, I have forgiven you for sin like that times a million. I have forgiven you over and over and over and over again. And through Jesus Christ, I don't have to take out my revenge on you. That's what God says. Because when we sin, we sin not only against other people from time to time and wrong other people, but we always sin against God. And when we want the forgiveness this way, which we all do. We want this forgiveness. We want forgiveness from the Father. We want forgiveness from God for ourselves, but don't extend forgiveness this way to other people. Then guess what? We don't really understand what this is all about. Forgiven people, this is your next blank. I think the blank just kind of skips over it, but the idea is there. Forgiven people, forgive people. Forgiven people, forgive people. When we understand the depth of God's forgiveness of us, we are freed up to forgive other people. We're freed up to let things go because we've received enough forgiveness for not only us, but for others. And, and, and here's the heart. Here's the unseen portion of this. I don't know how many times I've told somebody I forgave them, but I still held a grudge in my heart. Anybody get some nods? You've told somebody you forgave them, but you held something back in your heart. There was still bitterness in your heart. You said it to their face, but something different was going on inside. And remember, what's hidden from view is important to God. So we say we forgive, but it's not quite there in our hearts yet. And so I just don't know if there's any power in that. It'd be like this. Let's, let's, this is kind of a, a dreadful scenario. But you stand before God one day, which we're all going to do. Stand before God one day. You're in the throne room, judgment day. Man, God is, you're standing before the Lord. And he looks down on you and says, hey, you remember all those sins I forgave you for? Psych! I didn't really, I didn't mean it. That'd be terrible, wouldn't it? Be terrible. So why in the world do we offer forgiveness like this 
But in our hearts, it's not there. Christ really forgives us, therefore we really forgive other people. Not just outwardly, not just in word, not just in, in how other people think, not just <clears throat> for writing a Facebook message saying, hey bro, I forgive you, but for real forgive people that to the point where no one else is watching, when you lay your head on your pillow in the quietness of your own mind, you can say, I forgive that person. That's what forgiveness is. That's the peace that's of the heart. Because we can work some stuff up on the outside, but man, there's something special that happens on the inside when we begin to actually forgive people in our hearts. Who do you need to forgive? Who is somebody that you need to push out all of the influences? You need to push out all of the voices. You need to push out all these other things and you need to sit in your heart. You need to maybe have a conversation with a person. Maybe it's mom and dad. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's whatever. You need to have a conversation with that person. You need to extend forgiveness, not only outwardly, but you need to wrestle with that in your heart. Forgiveness from God, when you experience this, overflows into forgiveness of other people. Who do you need to forgive? Number three, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I, I honestly believe that because of social media, because of just technology, because of how widely and how easily you guys can communicate with each other. That temptation is more present in a generation than perhaps it ever has been. And you know this to be true. Many of you, you will walk out these doors and be faced with temptation. Before you make it to the parking lot, some of you will be faced with an intense temptation. One of the biggest journeys that, that, that I didn't go on this journey until I was in college. So I always love the opportunity to talk about kind of the journey I was on with high schoolers. One of the biggest journeys that we have to go on as followers of Christ is we have to begin to see sin the way God sees sin. I think it's one of the first things Jesus is doing here. We will not ask to be led away from temptation until we see sin the way God sees sin. Because sin is ultimately not just the breaking of a rule. And I know that tends to be the way we think about sin. We think about sin as breaking a rule. Sin is much more than just breaking a rule. It's breaking a heart. It's breaking God's heart. There's a person involved in every single sin that we do, and he happens to be the God of the universe. And so when we begin to see sin the way God sees sin, there's a few things that happen. One, here, here's, there's two types of people. There's the, the person who puts on the religious face in order to be seen as something on the outside, but doesn't quite understand salvation on the inside. And that person doesn't see sin the way God sees sin. They've manipulated behavior, but their hearts haven't changed. And then we have people who genuinely have fallen in love with God. And here's what happens when you genuinely fall in love with God. You begin to love what God loves and you begin to hate what God hates. It's just a truth. It begins to happen. And I don't believe that it happens overnight. I don't believe that, that you get perfect. I don't believe any of that. But here's what I do know. That when I gave my life to Jesus, I began to hate the things that I used to love. Does anybody remember that, though, that day? Something that you used to love. Something that you know now is far from God. When you gave your life to him, you began to hate that thing the way God hates that thing or that, 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 that action, whatever it may be. And I began to love the things God loved. Before I was a follower of Christ, God's word meant absolutely nothing to me. 
I didn't want to read the Bible. Why would I want to read the Bible? Man, I experienced Jesus Christ and his love, and I began to love God's word. There's only, I, you know, we like to try to define salvation and pull out salvation by identifying outward things, but there is something special that happens to our desires when we become a follower of Christ. When I was a student pastor, I was a student pastor for about five years, I would have students come to me, and I had one girl in particular that I baptized three times from seventh grade to her senior year of high school, which I usually don't do that. But I baptized her three times, and, and I probably shouldn't have, you know, whatever. But uh, I began to have to ask the question, and I'm sure many of you are in the same boat at times, where you'll, you'll have a moment with God, and you'll kind of drift away from him, and then you'll have another moment with God, you know, kind of drift away from him. And eventually you come to Derek or you come to your small group leader and you say, bro, I, I know I said I got saved last summer, but I really got saved this summer. Have you heard any, I mean, I don't, no, no show of hands, but that's probably many of you. You've wrestled with that moment of when you were saved. I had students ask me that all the time or come to me. They'd want to be baptized every summer after camp, you know, um, you know, this year, Trey, I'm actually going to do it. I'm going to go and I'm going to, I'm going to live for Jesus. And then a week into school, they're, they're living, you know, whatever. So <clears throat> So, but here's what I began to have to ask students to try to figure out the reality of what was happening. The question that I always came back to was, what do you do with sin? Because, guys, you will always ride an emotional roller coaster when it comes to your relationship with God. Emotions just are roller, we, we know that. We're just, emotions go up and down. You read through the book of Psalm, you got, you got David, you know, a man after God's own heart. That's what the Bible calls him. And you see, literally in one Psalm, the guy's like, I'm on a mountain, this is awesome. In the next, the next Psalm, he's like, I'm in despair, where's my soul? You know, that type of thing. So the emotions are gonna do this. What you have to be able to do is look deep into your heart and what are your desires? Has Christ changed your desires? Do you love the things God loves at the core of who you are? Do you hate the things God hates? Does sin leave you broken? Does sin leave you, leave you knowing that you're empty? This is a, this, I know this is a heavy thought, but if you're in here and you're wrestling around with a sin or you're, you're actively involved in some sort of habitual sin and you don't care, I wonder if God has ever been in your heart. Because what God does when he comes in, he, he shifts our hearts. He changes things from the inside out. He really does begin to shift our desires. We begin to hate the things that God hates. We begin to love the things that God loves. Here's an important point to all of this. The scripture here says, lead us not into temptation. And I love that. I love that Jesus throws that in there. I love that Jesus says, lead us not into temptation. Because here's what's important. For many of you and for all of us, for adults in the room as well, Oftentimes the battle that God has equipped us to fight is not the battle, in, it's like the battle before the battle. And here's what I mean. If you're in a relationship right now with a boy or girl, and let's, say, let's just say both of you, with a boy, with, hopefully with one or the other, not both. Um, if you're in a relationship, if you're in a relationship and, and you are, uh, you, you both love Jesus, okay, let's go with that, you both love Jesus, and, but you're, you're struggling physically. You cross a line that you know you shouldn't cross on a regular basis. It's probably not wise to, after tonight, go home, go downstairs to the basement, turn on the lights, get under the covers, and watch a movie. It's probably not wise because in that moment, we're probably not quite equipped to fight against the temptation. We've walked into like the world of temptation. 
We've walked into where Satan is going to have a really easy pull for us. He's going to have a really easy hook. When perhaps the fight that you have to fight is the moment before the moment. When you say, lead us not into temptation, here's the commitment that I'm asking you to make. Commitment. I don't want to go where I know I'll be tempted. That's that last line, commitment. I don't want to go where I know I'll be tempted. Think about it this way. <laughs> this is a silly example, but, but it'll help you understand. If you're on a diet, don't bake cookies all day, you know? If, if you don't want your hand to get bit by a lion, don't put your hand in the cage. Here's what a lot of Christians do. We go this, we go, all right, I got this. I can do this. I can lay under the covers with her. I can do that with him. I can go do this. I can hang out with that group of people. I can take one sip of that beer. I can smoke just a little, you know, we do, we do something like that. We say we can just, I, I can get close. I can get close. Here's the deal. Jesus here is saying, hey, lead us not into temptation. He's not saying, hey, hey, <clears throat> hey, when you get to that very moment, I hope you have the strength not to, do, not to jump out. Okay, I hope you, I hope you can, I'm, I'm, I think it's okay if you just, just kind of walk on the, on, the, on the edge. Jesus is saying here, I'm so good. I love you so much. I am so much better than that sin. Why do you even want to get close to jumping off that ledge? Why do you even want to get close to the cookies? Why do you even want to close to putting your hand, get close to putting your hand in the lion's cage? We're not, and this isn't, a, a, I don't want you to feel defeated by this. God has given us wisdom to fight sin. He's saying, hey, you're probably quite, not quite strong enough to handle that intense moment in that moment. You can, I believe many of us can, but not over and over and over and over again. If you know you struggle with, with let's just say, drinking or something like that, you probably shouldn't be holding it in your hand and thinking, I just, I just won't do it. What would it look like for followers of Christ as high schoolers, as you in age 12, to, to set up boundaries that keep you from getting past, getting to the, the real boundary? Here's the thing about sin. It always promises more than it will deliver. And it always destroys. You're wrestling with that right now. You want that thing with that girl. You want to be popular. You want all that. It always promises more than it delivers. It always destroys. It's not worth it. And Jesus here is saying, hey, lead us not into temptation. He's saying, hey, if you love me, make a commitment not to get near to that moment. Stay away from that moment. Maybe you guys need to date at Waffle House where the fluorescent lights are real bright. You know, <clears throat> maybe that, hey, you laugh, but I'm kind of serious. Maybe you don't need to, maybe you need to date with mom and dad until you're ready to get married. Let me tell you something really, really, really kind of near and dear to my heart. And I said, I'm about, I'm about to be really, I'm, I know it's kind of funny, but I'm about to be honest with you guys. The area of my life where I struggled with sin the most was, was, was lust. Even after I gave my life to Christ, it was just that thing that Satan used to just kind of get a, a, a hold of my life. And I met my wife <clears throat> beginning of 2012. We've been married for uh, three years in, in um, December. Met my wife. And I knew, I knew her heart. I knew that, that, that this was a woman of God. I knew this was a woman that I wanted to marry. And so on our second or third date, she and I made the commitment to one another to, in order to prepare for the best marriage possible, in order to honor God, we did not kiss while we dated. We didn't kiss one time while we dated. Yeah. And here's the deal. Almost three years into marriage, I don't think I missed out on anything. I came to find out that God's best really is best. 
And maybe that's where some of you are tonight. Maybe you're wrestling with the ability to trust God internally. Maybe you're wrestling with forgiveness. Maybe you, maybe one, you're wrestling with the fact that God has forgiven you of sin. You just don't know if he has me. Maybe you just don't know if, man, God, can you really forgive all the junk in my life? Maybe you're wrestling with bitterness towards somebody else and you need something internally in your heart needs to happen. Maybe you're tiptoeing a line of sin. You're you're, kind of running in and out in front of traffic. You're and just hoping you're not going to get hit. But the reality is, if we continue to walk towards that sin and allow to be in a place where we're going to be tempted, we're going to get hit. What's hidden from view really does matter to God. And who you are inside really does overflow to the outside. Here's the deal. I do believe that what's on the outside matters to God. But... Honoring God with our outward actions always starts from an inward reality. Do you love God? Does your heart love God? Are you turned towards him? The band's going to come up and we're going to sing a song called um, One Thing Remains. For a second there, I forgot about that. One Thing Remains. And you know, it's, it's ironic. I was listening to them in rehearsal and I think about um, that is the song you're singing, right? Okay, just making sure. <laughs> right, Nick's like, dude, we got to change the song. Um, it says, you know, your love never fails. And, I, and the reason, I, you know, today's, the, this message is not about, you know, it was kind of about just, you know, what's, un, what's, what's, what's God doing inside of you that other people don't see? What's hidden? But I think coming off of a, just a brief conversation about temptation and sin, there is not a better thing to hear than his love never fails. And it's his love that changes us inwardly. It's his love that captures our hearts and changes everything. What's going on inside of you? What's going on in your heart? I pray, I pray that God captures every single one of you right now. So let's do that. Jesus, Lord, we love you. Lord, thank you so much for loving us when we did not deserve to be loved. That's the whole point of the gospel is you loved us when we did not deserve to be loved. You've given us the life that we don't deserve. You died the death that we did deserve to die. And when we understand that, when we place our faith in that, Lord, you change us from the inside out in a non-cliche way. That is what you do. You take people who once were one way and you make them something new. That's the gospel, Lord. And so, but it starts in our, in our heart. We don't have to be perfect. We're not gonna be perfect in this life. It's not gonna happen. We will screw up. But something different begins to happen in the life of someone who loves you. And we can pray a prayer like it we see in Matthew 6. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, Lord, in this place. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a good prayer, Lord. We hope that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Give us the strength to do that, Lord, to say no to evil, to say no to the moment when we might be tempted. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.